I just want to get it on the record. We want to try to remove those obstacles that may be getting in the Where are our black politicians who are supposed to be protecting the Justice Department's statement that it's prepared to step in with an independent investigation. Hopefully the federal government will come up with a plan. When they go low, we go high. Welcome to Real Talk, the show that's open for discussion on issues that matter to you. Here you'll find informed conversation, topics, and personalities. We'll discuss what's in the news and find out what's on the minds of some of the most thought-provoking people who make our community great and interesting. And now, the host of Real Talk, Charles Griggs. Welcome to another edition of Real Talk. Senator Audrey Gibson represents Florida Senate District 6 in parts of Duval County. She has served in the Florida Senate since 2011 and has also served as Senate Minority Leader. Prior to her time in the Senate, she served in the Florida State House of Representatives from 2002 through 2010. She is one of the leading voices in local and state politics, with so many important issues looming, such as Florida's continued response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Gibson promises to be one of the most important policy voices of the 2021 legislative session. Coming up, a conversation with Florida State Senator Audrey Gibson on Real Talk. Welcome to another edition of Real Talk. We are here with uh, State Senator, Florida State Senator Audrey Gibson. She represents District 6. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. This is the last week we can say that, I think. That's right. It probably after the first week. So we're going to try to cover, I like to try to cover as much as I can in the short period of time. There's a lot going on in the state of Florida as well as throughout the country and in the world. Mm. Um, and I'd like to get your thoughts. You know, you're coming into, you're, you're getting ready to start an upcoming legislative session. And I think that many of these things have an impact on the work that you'll be doing in the coming weeks, committee meetings, as well as the legislative session itself. So absolutely, we'll, we'll try to cover as much as we can. So uh, first up, let's talk about what happened at uh, the Capitol on January the 6th. Uh, was the, we all know that um, uh, the joint session of Congress was trying to, uh, was in, in the process of... Um, certifying, uh, counting, I should say, the Electoral College vote. And the Capitol was stormed by rioters and looters. What, what was going through your mind when you, when you saw that and you, you watched that happen, that, that attack on our democracy? The Capitol wasn't stormed. It was violently assaulted. Um, and it, not just the Capitol, but our, what, the, what the Capitol represents in this country which is uh, democracy, uh, a way of um, redressing, I suppose, those things that um, you want in a particular way with your uh, legislators and your members of Congress. Um, every, everything that we stand for as a country was denigrated yesterday, and I, I've never... I don't think I've ever felt... Well, I have felt the way I felt in some ways uh, yesterday, certainly um, as we have watched um, African-Americans being gunned down. Um, that is is certainly um, goes right to the pit of your stomach. And then on top of that was yesterday and the audacity of people who have everything... Um, 
destroying uh, everything they say they stand for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the feelings for people in the African-American community were, you know, were, I think, were consistent across the board, feeling like if that were us, mm -hmm. you know, doing something, or at least thinking about doing something like that, it would have been prevented in a major way. Uh, never would have made it. I was, several people were saying we never would have made it across, you know, past the statue across the street, in terms of um, trying to violate the Capitol the way it was. And, but I think we should be otherwise offended as well, because um, even um, as we are in the era of, of Black Lives Black Lives Matter, this is our country. Mm -hmm. This is our country. And we believe in democracy. We believe in justice on top of it. Um, and here are these folks uh, waving our flag and attacking our government and the things that we stand for while they profess to be um, the keepers of what's right and the keepers of the flag. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous yeah. and sickening. Yeah. What type of accountability would you expect under a situation like this? Uh, I mean, um, this was obviously we saw people trespassing, looting. Uh, several people were carrying weapons. They were using um, flagpoles and so a as mm -hmm. weapons. They brought you know, items onto the uh, the Capitol property. What what type of accountability would you expect as as uh, an officer, uh, elected official? Uh, what, what would you want to see happen? I mean, this is sort of way out of bounds. Yes. Sworn, uh, as an elected official sworn to uphold the Constitution, as is the president of these United States of America, who takes the same oath, yet he violated it yesterday mm -hmm. by inciting uh, rioting. But you know what my expectation of accountability is, and that is all these agencies that we have, the Secret Service, the FBI, uh, law enforcement across this country who probably got the same feed, need to identify every single person in the videos that they have from yesterday, question them all. Some of them should be arrested and charged. They know who they are. Uh, the Secret Service and all these other law enforcement entities know who they are, too, because they probably come from some of their cities. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and they need to be rounded up and arrested. Yeah. Yeah. I heard someone say everyone who entered, who unlawfully entered the Capitol was trespassing. And so should at least be charged with, with you know, that, if nothing else. That, it, but it even goes beyond that. If you're inciting a riot on a federal property, you may not have made it inside, but you darn sure did some things outside that you should be arrested for. Mm -hmm. Round them up. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what actually happens as a result of this. Um, you know, I, I think as we see more pictures, more video come out from uh, people, at, you know, folks whose information, their digital information has not rise to the top yet, Yep. Um, will definitely tell a different story, a more deeper story on what actually happened. Four people died. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> amazing, and that, uh, and, and some people believe this situation is taken very lightly, uh, given the fact that you, they, that the you know, Congress had to continue. They went on, made, you know, they had to continue mm -hmm. to go and go ahead and get t take care of the business of the electoral college. 
But, um, you know, absent of that, it just seemed almost as if um, today something else should have been done. You know, you know the, the, the day after Congress should have been taking some type of additional action related to um, the atrocities that were that were done. And I, I mean, obviously, if it requires legislation, it would take a little more time. But ultimately, we will get there. But to me, the bigger part of that is that they refuse to let hoodlums um, keep them from doing exercising their duty to make sure that um, the electoral uh, certification process went forward. And um, I was very, I was very proud of that body for that Mm -hmm. and some of the statements that were made. And and lastly on this topic is a, uh, you may not have seen, or you may have, that there were protests at our state capitol yes, as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, we do have some security training when we go back, but I think this this now increases the necessity of that training and probably some additional um, agenda items that I certainly will be looking for when yeah, we go back. Definitely, because I don't think people were, uh, certainly members of Congress can't feel like they were feel like safe. I mean, because no. people just kind of walked into the building and um, had their way with their and property. Up at the rostrum. That's yeah. just it's crazy. Uh, so 2020 brought us one major news thing that lived with us COVID-19, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that uh, we were not able to shake as a country, as a state. Uh, the numbers continue to grow. Uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic. And um, it seemed like from day one, we never really got our arms around the situation to mitigate it properly. Um, what are your thoughts on how we approach this as a, as a country and as a state and as a local community as well? Because um, from a pandemic perspective or from um, an outbreak perspective, this from many public health officials will tell you that we did not follow traditional public health protocols in order to mitigate the spread of this pandemic. Hmm. Um, so what, what, what would you have to say about what, where we are, how we got here, and what are your expectations going forward? Well, when you, when you mentioned from day one, the, the issue is we, did, we, don't, we didn't know when day one was. <laughs> that, that, that put us in a bad position uh, from the beginning that we found out about it, right? Um, it was already in motion. And so um, the, the handling of the, of the pandemic as we still live through it, and you mentioned the numbers continue to rise, has not been done properly. It wasn't, if we didn't know about it, that other, but that we didn't know what other people knew mm-hmm. to, to, to help ourselves and what they knew that they kept from us endangered us even more. And, and we should all remember that um, in the days coming. But um, slowing things down, I believe, could have been done a little better. It, it's, I, I don't believe that we would be in any worse economic situation uh, than we are in at this point if we had kept things closed a little longer 
to give us time to, I mean, everybody who resists wearing masks would have, I guess they would have understood that they needed it. Um, but to give us, to give us more time to kind of find that flattening a little bit and then not rush to, um, open things up, you get the flat, a little bit of flattening and then you open everything up and it, and the, and the numbers go up. And, but then you say, well, it's not because you open things up, Mr. Yeah. Governor. And yeah. that's like the most ridiculous thing so I've you, ever heard. So you definitely will be advocating for a statewide mass policy as well as, uh, lockdowns, um, to make sure that uh, people, you know, have a little more incentive to practice social distancing, or a little more, um, you know, they're, they're, because what 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 we found was, was when we asked people to do things the right way, many of the businesses in order to survive tried. It was the people who mm. didn't believe in the mask and the stay-at-home policy that sort of forced these businesses to to you know, kind of break the law or be soft on their um, their policies. But it's the ur- at the urging of the administration, I think, is, is, is what happened with the general public by the administration, both national and state, insisting that, you know, we, we got to get this economy going yeah. and we, we need to open all these things up. And then... The psyche of the general public is well, everything must be fine because yeah. we're opening everything up. So why should we do anything that helps to keep us safe? Why would we want to wear a mask yeah. when everything's open? Yeah. So it it's like the psychology of of wearing the mask, but then seeing that everything is open, they don't it doesn't go together. Yeah. And um, so that that element of of fear is really what we what we needed people to feel. I think, mm-hmm. in some instances, for those who don't get the fact that, you know, it's not just your safety, it's, it's our entire state safety because people move around, they don't, they're not stationary, and so we should be trying to protect ourselves and, and our families. Um, we have a committee that's, um, that's created for this coming session. I'm not on it, but I'll be very, very interested in Hopefully it meets at a, at a time when none of my other committees meet so I can <laughs> make sure I get my input before it comes even comes to the floor. Um, and so getting out of this is... Um, and now we have, what, a mutated, if you will, yeah. uh, virus, which, which happens in nature, if you yeah. will. If you try to take me out this way, I'm going to mutate to, you know, to keep myself uh, moving. Um, I don't know. We have the vaccine. We'll see how that does. But we don't want people to have a false sense of security. One of so. the challenges has been that we've the, the spread of the virus has looked differently in various communities. We know that it has impacted the uh, communities with people of color, mainly because um, they're more likely to, one, um, work in frontline jobs, as well as have more multiple people living in their homes, uh, by, thereby putting people at ri- more people at risk at one time, uh, smaller quarters, right? Um, and but we haven't been very the state hasn't been very forthcoming on what that information looks like. Um, we know at one point that um, at least here in Duval County, about half of the almost half of the reported cases were African Americans. 
What we don't know is what the death rate looks like around those cases because they've been, you know, kind of kept close to vests. Um, what are your thoughts on what do you think the impact is on people on communities of color, especially the district you serve, and what we, what should we be doing extra or special to, you know, sort of to address those issues? Well, it just in um, we've had some conference calls just with where Dr. Haley was leading the information um, as it relates to what UF Health was doing and. And I think, and there were some partner hospitals too. And so the, the uh, pattern, if you will, of, the, of um, contracting the virus also related to those dying from the virus. So it wasn't, it wasn't a less percentage. Mm -hmm. They were about if the same, if you could say it that way. You, mm -hmm contracted this rate, and you also have the death rate pretty much at the same thing, even though not everybody that contracted died, right, if right. that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But the percentage was still 50% mm -hmm. or just over 50%. Um, I think it's changed a little bit now, but uh, the underlying conditions um, certainly existed in uh, the African-American community as well as in the Hispanic community which I think the Hispanic community numbers are, well, statewide are now a little bit higher mm -hmm. than African, mm -hmm. but both categories are people of color, so <laughs> there you go. Um, and so, I, as you mentioned, it's, it's well, I'm going to say it's two things. It's, it's more than two things, but the two primary things are, if you don't know, if you're governor and your president are concealing information and you don't know that um, there is a very contagious virus in your community, mm -hmm. then you don't take the precautions that you should because you don't know that you should because they didn't, they, they, they didn't tell they, you. They didn't inform you properly. <laughs> and nor did they make it available to you. Yeah. Um, and so that, that has an impact. Um, and then when you close down and reopen businesses where those individuals work anyway, then there's there's that exposure again. So mm -hmm. and, and they are the least communities that could work from home, right? Because those weren't the types of jobs that they had. Mm -hmm. So they had to show up at work and expose themselves to more danger or stay home and don't get a paycheck. Yep. Yeah. I think I got to your question. Right you did, way. you did, you did, you did, and it, because that was compounded by the fact that uh, the unemployment checks were mm. slow, or they people were able to get access at all for weeks at a time to even apply for them, which put them at you know at risk for like you mentioned. You know, I got to I got to find a job and expose myself to. The virus when when other people in other communities just simply hey I'm working from home this week mm -hmm. and next week and, and next the next month. week yeah, and the next yeah. week and so, and I'm and I'm getting my check and I'm getting my check <laughs> and I'm getting my check so what do you see on the horizon for you know what you know, we got like you mentioned we have a vaccine um, I know the doctors or some of the experts say if we do it right by the end of the spring we should start to see the numbers go down almost in a significant way, if we do it right. But right now we're struggling with vaccine distribution, and so it doesn't look like we're actually going to do it right, at yeah. least for now. 
Well, I think the the um, issue obviously is availability of the doses, and my understanding was that it would be by spring that the general population would be getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how um, how much lower the numbers will go until we have what I asked Dr. Haley about, what's the saturation rate mm-hmm. of the vaccinations, right? What, what do we need to make sure that we do have a downward trajectory? And that's over 50%. Yeah. And of the people in any given area, though, <laughs> and as long as they're practicing social distancing and still wearing their masks. <laughs> yes, that, that too. It's not, you're, just because you got the vaccination doesn't mean you're supposed to stop wearing the mask and washing your hands and sanitizing and staying out of groups. So, it, but it's a continual message. Have you been encountering people are, um, people from your district or black people in general who are afraid of the vaccine? And if so, you know, what are we going to do about that? People should be more afraid of the virus than they should be of the vaccine. And so I think it's important for uh, people to know, even though even though they may know someone who contracted it and they ended up being okay, um, there's still the question out there of the long-term effects of even having contracted it, mm-hmm. um, for, even with our young kids. But every individual is different. And just because you're... Your friend didn't get that sick or whatever, or they, hey, 100% recovered as far as you know, doesn't mean that you will have the same outcome. Yeah. And so it's important that people understand that that it's better to have the vaccine than not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, and we're what's happening is it's given in a safe environment. It's also um, you sit for about 20 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes, I think it is, to make sure there's no reaction to the the uh, the vaccine that you took. Um, and if people are concerned, well, which one, which vaccine is it? Is it the other, one or the other? Is it Moderna or is it Pfizer? They're vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> They've been approved by the FDA. They do the same thing. Um, it's just different companies. Yeah, Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. It's so that the the more we have, the more it's we have uh, accessible for people to take the take the vaccina- va- vaccination. So we at least catch up with the virus. Mm-hmm. We can't, we're not even catching up to it yet. So we have to get ahead of it. So we got to at least catch up to it. Okay. So you know we had the this you know in the middle of a pandemic, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. We had. Uh, presidential election mm-hmm. and uh, we managed to work our way through the election and and, and got uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris elected to be the 46th president and vice president of the United States and um, this was an extraordinary election for many reasons because um, Georgia went blue and Duval County Continued to be blue for a national election. How do you explain that? What 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 are your thoughts on the national election, uh, the presidential election, and how some you know some Duval County and Florida in particular mm. performed, and what do we got to do in Florida to be Georgia? 
let's see. Well, when you talk about Florida to be Georgia, we, we, we're going to have to look at some demographics, right? Um, which I'm a big data person. Okay. Um, and so, um, I, I, and some of that has to do, I would say much of it, has to do with um, what's the age um, and mindset of the people, not just, not in an entire state, but in certain areas of the state, particularly more populated areas where the numbers are, are higher and, the, and more people can register and be participatory. Um, and so, and, and then how do the, how are those, what are those demographics in the state of Georgia that are, and how does it compare to the demographics in the state of Florida, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what's happened over, over time? I would venture to say that Florida is probably more diverse than Georgia in terms of the many um, ethnicities, if you will, and cultural um, folks that are in our state. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong. Yeah. No, you, you're definitely correct. Um, you're definitely correct because we have more work to do uh, <laughs> You know, sort of reaching those, and and then of course the big thing with people who were, I guess the the big, um, I guess elephant in the room was the Hispanic vote in South Florida, uh, which people sort of, uh, as they say, took for granted uh, in some ways. Well, Do you agree with that? Well, I I think that first of all, one of the things that we cannot do is is just say Hispanic generally, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are there are different um, cultural communities within the Hispanic. You have exactly. Cuban, yeah. Venezuelan. So there's a there's a there is a, a different kind of a of a mix, if you will. And so and they are culturally different, um, and we have to take that into account. And some that whole socialism um, lie. Uh, that was spun. Um, people who either came from certain countries as children or their parents and grandparents came from those real, true socialist countries, and they have these conversations with their children and their grandchildren at mm-hmm. dinner or at, or at their social events or something. And so we have to take all of those things to an account and not not just categorize people a certain way and feel like one blanket message is, is going to work for everybody. That's a big mistake. Yeah. So basically what, we, what the Democrats didn't do was a, a better job, they needed to do a better job of messaging on the impact of their ideology and policy decisions and not that it be defined by a Republican Party as socialist policies. Right. I and mean, that's it. That and defund the police yeah. sunk, just sunk us. And we know better. We, we're far better than that. Who's more inclusive and, and, and values people more than the Democratic Party? No, no party that I know of. Mm-hmm. None. And who, um, who is it that fights for health care for all and, and higher wages? That's, that's, that's us. Mm-hmm. Um, and who embraces. Everybody from all ethnic backgrounds, all economic backgrounds, that's us. Yeah. 
How surprised were you with the outcome in Georgia? Not only the presidential, but the, the Senate runoffs. I kind of felt like if Georgia, you know, won that, the, the Biden won in the Georgia as a state, that it shouldn't be too far removed from the Senate races because they are statewide. Like, if it, if it had been more local races or a state Senate race or something, it could be different because the dynamics are so different. But um, I don't know. I had some little butterflies thinking, ooh, and we can't get one. We have to get both. Mm -hmm. um, I was a little surprised. I don't know. I think I was probably more surprised by the Warnock one. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, not because it was Purdue necessarily. It was just the difference in the in the commercials. I don't know. It mm. was... Some people believe, and this is something that I've, I've, after talking with some of the folks in Georgia, some of the uh, political operators in Georgia, they seem to feel like Georgia's voter suppression laws backfired because uh, while they were busy, um, you know, implementing restrictive... Uh, voter ID laws and removing polling places that allowed for on the ground mobilization mm. um, to get people registered, inform them. That, oh, by the way, while we're while, while you're registering, you know, just plan on doing a mail-in ballot, which is why we we saw a lot of vote, you know, early votes and as well as vote uh, ballots come in after the, the polls are closed. Um, that seemed to be the winning combination both times, you during the general election and the runoff. Mm. Those uh, mail-in ballots, at, as they were being counted, you know, those leads from people who were, you know, going to the polls during the day just evaporated. Uh, so you had an opportunity to educate people about the importance of being a registered voter and then also holding their hand while they took action with the ballot. Yeah, maybe that helped Georgia. Well, we already have we already have all those things are already in place in Florida. So why can we why why didn't Biden win in Florida? Come on. So I think then that goes back to the whole conversation about the demographics and and and, yeah, and uh, different different ethnic communities. But shoot, we can vote by mail, and we obviously push that more this time. Um, I think that was very helpful mm -hmm. in Duval um, this cycle and the gubernatorial cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we have a, a young, um, pretty young average age, which I think vote by mail is more attractive to mm -hmm. younger, more young, or younger individuals. So I think our average age is like between 35 and 39. Okay. Um, and so I know younger people like to vote early. Early, and, and they kind of galvanized towards by mail too mm -hmm. this okay. time. Um, so yeah, I'm an early voter. I traditionally vote early. And and then when you think about Georgia versus Florida early voting, you know, their 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 early voting cycle is just ridiculous. It yeah. starts at it's like on a they don't vote on the weekend in mm -hmm. most of the counties. Every county's different, but I don't think any county votes on the weekend. And it's Monday through Friday. Eight to five when mm -hmm. people are working. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's the craziest <laughs> thing I ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, they um, 
definitely were, you know, sort of using the rules mm. against, you know, to kind of, you know, flourish against the uh, the the, uh, the oppressive laws. So, you know, the, the whole people were thinking that the ID piece was going to be key. That'll get them, you know, right? So, be, but as you're registering them and you get it, you know, if they're mailing those ballots in, the IDs aren't as important because they're verifying them by yes. signature. And since they since they just registered, those signatures are going to match, likely match anyway. So I think they may have a population shift too. I yeah. look at the demographic. Definitely have a population shift. It's not the old. I don't think it's the old. There's still some of the old Georgia and mm-hmm. some of the and some of the so areas, have, but the uh, more movement in metropolitan. So they have six. I believe they have six congressional seats that surround Atlanta Metro. And mm-hmm. out of those six seats, they used to be John Lewis used to be the only African American. And now uh. all of them except one, I believe, yeah, are blacks. So that is uh, that's impressive. So and coming up is the beginning of the Florida legislative session, uh, March second, right? You all start on March second, and if uh, you say so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know this is another one. Now this is before you get there, you're going to have you know start committee meetings and so next forth week. next week. And um, and you'll be preparing for the, you know, the agenda, working with across the, um, with the House reps, and getting things done. You, the only thing you're required to do is to pass a balanced budget. Right. So, but everything else is about priorities, right? Uh, what are your priorities yes. for this legislative session? Policy priorities? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, and it's going to be a little bit, this is going to be a lot different because of COVID. So, um, just... Real quickly, we have to do uh, COVID testing every week. I'm like, every every week when we come back. Um, and then we're uh, if if you want to watch the meetings in person, you have to go to somewhere. I forgot now. Okay, somewhere off campus. Okay, I'll be listen, I, I'll be watching uh, on the floor of the channel. <laughs> yes, so it's better to watch it on the Florida channel, but. I think at the uh, it's at the Turnbull Center. Okay. So <clears throat> if you're there, you may have a chance to speak on the mic or something. I think maybe I'm not sure, okay. but it's going to be really different, which is why actually we're going to have more committee week in Tallahassee than we usually do because we have an abbreviated uh, abbreviated time slots to make sure all of the committees meet the way they the way they should, and so um, as a member of the Black Caucus. Um, our state legislative black caucus. I'm certainly um, in uh, tune with uh, police reform uh, mm-hmm. measures that uh, we will be filing to address uh, our policy concerns um, in our state as it re- relates to policing. And one of the uh, one of my uh, bills that I'm working on, is uh, it's called uh, it's predictive analytics, if you will. Okay. And so, um, but it can be used to um, harass people um, and handcuff and arrest people when nothing has actually happened. Okay. So, based on um, crime data, and I, I learned about this in a class I took too. Pre- predictive analytics. Um, where if 
these particular crimes happen in this particular area over this particular time, you can predict that it will happen. But this is the craziest part. You can predict that it will happen again in this month, in this week, mm -hmm. on this day, at this time. Yeah. Sort of. Okay. The problem with that is um, in a certain county, and it's the president's, in the president's, uh, it's in, it's, no, not that president. Oh, okay. <laughs> the president that I'm going to be asking to get passed, okay. <laughs> let me get my bill, bill passed. It's in his area. And so people are being harassed, mm -hmm. and, and I have to show you this offline, where they're being harassed and um, uh, handcuffed for what the police thinks will happen or think they did it because it happened somewhere in that neighborhood they and their name, they've been arrested before or something, and their analytics says that this particular kind of crime is going to happen on this street mm -hmm. or um, around this time. It's likely to occur. And so, yeah, yeah it's likely to occur, but mm -hmm. it didn't. Yeah. That's ridiculous. So wouldn't, wouldn't the smart thing... I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't one of the alternatives be for a situation like that be if you know what those conditions are, do something to change the conditions versus just... Harassing, showing up and harassing people exactly. and, and putting them in handcuffs and exactly. questioning them and, yeah. and threatening them and all kind yeah, of stuff like, like that? Like, like, but of know, course. Investing resources in people instead of, uh, you know, <laughs> just asking. <laughs> we have crime <laughs> analytics map, maps here, but mm -hmm. at, at least JSO is not going knocking on not knocking on people's doors, but busting people's doors open mm -hmm. and arresting them. But yes, those same uh, analytics could be given to, say, a legislative body like council mm -hmm. or during the budget time or to the to a mayor, not the mayor, but a mayor, mm -hmm. um, that would have that information and then could, could form more useful task forces if we were going to do that. Um, and, a t and a crime task force or whatever that one is called that I don't even know if it still meets. Mm -hmm. I don't think it does. Yeah. Um, that is very can be very focused and, and understand how the resources could and should be driven. Mm -hmm. But that's too much like the right thing to do. <laughs> I mean, why would we do? Like, why would, why you, would we do something as sensible as that? Yeah, well, why would we invest in people instead of <laughs> exactly. stuff? You know? Instead of yeah, instead yeah. of stuff and handcuffs and busting people's doors yeah. down. And stuff under, like that. under that scenario, they would say, "Well, since we know this, uh, a problem is going to occur likely on this day and likely by these individuals, then we're going to put more individuals in there to keep them from doing it or be able to make the arrest when it happens," versus saying. Since we know it's likely to occur with these individuals, <laughs> why don't we invest in like giving them something to do, or providing some educational resources, or finding out if they're hungry, you know? <laughs> or, yeah, or sending a a, a a a group of I don't know people to talk to people, yeah, some the, prevention people yeah, the week before you think it's gonna happen. Yeah, before before it occurs. Yeah, <laughs> instead of waiting till it occurs and then go. You're under arrest. Yeah. Okay. And, of course, I I'm I'm, uh, have done Alzheimer's legislation, Alzheimer's uh, 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 
legislation and certainly the occurrence of Alzheimer's uh, disease and 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 helping those individuals is is very um, close to my heart. Um, my mother had Alzheimer's and many uh, before she passed, and there uh, Alzheimer's disease is. Um, that Representative Brown and I made sure we got in part of our minority legislation uh, health disparities bill. Alzheimer's disease is a known disease that disproportionately impacts African American, and mm -hmm. most people don't even know that. No. And so this year I'm doing a bill for the uh, the training component to make sure that we have, I'll call it, quote-unquote, universal um, training that is relevant as as things change and and we are providing services in our state that those individuals who will be working with uh in the, working with our folks who have dementia or, or alzheimer's disease uh, recognize what to do and how to how to respond and, and help those particular individuals whether they're in a nursing home setting or a hospital setting there's a certain standard uh, that we should have in our state um, that I'm working on in that bill because obviously we have, if we're not the first or if we're not the second state with the largest senior population, we may be the first. Mm -hmm. People love to retire here. Yes. And and they and and get old here. You know, yeah. So that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. But we just make we have to make sure we take care of folks. So Absolutely. before we get out of here, um, as part of the the just to kind of complete the legislative talk, what do you see? What are some of the things that you see maybe that we should look out for during the session? I mean, I know that, you know, that uh, every going into every session is traditional for mm. for the leadership to say, we don't have any money. No, there's that. And then, and then everybody to fight over the same dollars they fought over last year, so. Well, I will say that the president and his, um, and, and I do have a good relationship with the president, obviously, we will never agree on every single thing, but, um, and I hear different things out there in the community, you know, that, oh, she's this way or she's that way. No, I'm a consensus builder, let's be clear. Mm -hmm. I'm a consensus builder for the people that I serve. Um, and so, and I, I am at the table, and I'm always going to be at the table. I'm going to um, fight for what I believe in, uh, but at the at the same time, there are places where you you build the consensus. Not everybody gets exactly everything that they want, but that's what consensus is all about: is making yeah. sure that you that you do get those things that you are looking for for your folks, and you get those things that you're looking for, and we go forward and, until the next time. Yeah. And so, um, and that's who that's who I that's uh, who I am. Overall, but then everybody else knows I'm this I'm this fighter too. I don't mess. I don't you know don't, don't, don't do that's right. We've seen don't, you fight. don't mess with my people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was saying that to say that he mentioned in his um, um, address to us when uh, on organization day that uh, and this has happened before too that there would be um, we would be looking at are are we. Where are programs that are outdated? Um, are we getting the best bang up for our buck? He didn't say it that way. Out of this one. So the, in other words, he was saying there will be some programs that may not exist at the end of the budget cycle, mm -hmm. and they'll be moving money back into the, into the budget. But, and that happens here and there. 
And so I encourage people to, where you can collaborate, you should, mm -hmm. uh, which is better for the community anyway. And oh, this is President Simpson. President Simpson. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, if you're thinking about forming a new nonprofit, look in your neighborhood to see if somebody else is already doing the same thing and see how you can complement that because you likely won't get any money to find what you want to do, but the other entity may get a little extra to bring you on to be a participant. So Interesting. The, I've always told people. Yeah. Um, because there's not unlimited unlimited money, and just to get a little bit, sometimes then you do a little for a little while, and then you go away, and then what you really wanted to do doesn't ever happen. And so I talk to people about collaboration all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so there will be some hurt for sure. Mm -hmm. um, we may see that a protesters' bill come up. We'll be ready ready for that. Um, I, I, when I talked to him, I said, look, if you're going to, let's, how about we do a workshop? Yeah. That's what we should do. Mm -hmm. um, let's workshop and then come up with, if we need some policy, then we come up with real policy based on the public input that we had in a workshop. Well, That's not only that, but, but a bill such as that should include, um, you know, some, Changes to law enforcement, not just to protesters. Well, right? and so yeah, that's I'm, uh, that too. Which which would be when you workshop a, a bill, it's, it is not maybe necessarily going to come up this particular session. That's yeah. the idea. Mm -hmm. But um, then, because you're workshopping and you have more than one workshop, that opportunity for multiple ideas to truly come forward um, certainly present themselves. However. The other side of that is, if you're not going to workshop it, we still are following our um, police reform bills, and there's going to be some consensus somewhere in there for our stuff to go on, period. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we should be prepared. And I told my, uh, my colleagues in the Black Caucus, we need to file our bills, because if they file theirs, the, some things are going to have to blend. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's what I call consensus. You mm -hmm. don't get all you want. We may not get all we want, but we step. get something that yes, step that puts us in a direction that we want to that we want to go in. And so the money side, we'll see what that looks like. I will tell you, I expect some more charter school um, oh legislation and being dictated to by the governor. Um, I think we should mm. we should look for that. Wow. Still no movement on uh, health care reform, closing the donut hole, accepting the, uh, no? Donut hole, federal. <laughs> I mean, you all have to take the money. They have to agree to take the money. Oh, you mean the, um, oh, you're talking about the um, expansion. Expansion, yeah. Yeah, we need to take the money, and, and there's some money that we have to put in, too, as a state. It doesn't just, uh, but the, but... What we have to, the percentage that we have to match <laughs> is worth every dime if we create more jobs, yeah. more health care jobs, and more people get to have health care. Yeah. Um, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. But, um, well, we got changes in uh, in the White House. Yeah. So we'll see. that can help us some. And then in maybe 2024, well, we have changes in the governor's. The pandemic alone should be incentive enough to see some changes to, uh, you know, some of... Uh, <laughs> Are you kidding? I mean, really, I mean, this is... 
I, for no other reason. I mean, uh, because we need to be able to, I mean, you got people on the front line, you know, we don't, you know, nurses and, and um, people who work at hospitals and healthcare facilities are being impacted um, disproportionately as well. But it and hasn't uh, moved the governor not one step. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully maybe we get some successful advocates out there to help move the needle for those people like you who are fighting for it. If I have to move it myself. <laughs> State Senator Audrey Gibson, thank you very much for being our guest on Real Talk. Thank you, Charles. You're so wonderful. I mean, you, know, you, you always... Uh, available to us and I know you're always available to the people. I certainly am. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. And that's our show. Thanks to Florida State Senator Audrey Gibson for her openness and time. Our Real Talk producer is on the West Coast and he is Landon Graves. And I'm Charles Griggs. And remember, there's always time for Real Talk. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Real Talk and subscribe to our show on iTunes or the usual podcast sites. You can write Real Talk at speaktous at 8wgroup.com and tell us who you'd like to hear on a future interview. Until next time, remember, on Real Talk, we are always open for discussion.